Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Michael Swoboda, and this is the Average Alaskan Podcast, the show where we cover the good, the bad, and the ugly of Alaskan outdoors and life here in Alaska. I'm currently sitting in the Alaska Range with two wonderful gentlemen, and this is going to be the first of hopefully several success stories of this sheep season and this hunting season out here at uh, Boys Camp. So today I'm joined by John and Ian Gargis. 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 God, I tried it so many times. (laughs) But John and Ian Gargis, a couple of East Coast gentlemen that are out here enjoying the Alaska wilderness, the wet and the rain. And uh, we're sitting around and enjoying uh, some good success stories. So um, we're going to hop right in and we're going to start from the very beginning. Uh, I want you guys to kind of let the listeners know how you guys started this journey. Where did it start? How did you decide on coming up to Alaska? And how did you ultimately decide on chasing doll sheep up here? Well, it started about a year and a half ago when COVID was in the early days. And Ian had always wanted to do an Alaskan moose hunt. And I realized, you know, he was getting into college I'm 53, and there was going to be this sort of short window before he goes and graduates and gets into the working world, and I get maybe too physically uh, old to do a sheep hunt uh, or a moose hunt. So we we originally looked for a moose hunt, realized... It was really between the two, the sheep and moose, and then the the issue, it was uh, centered around my uh, school schedule. So that's how we actually decided on sheep, because the season was... A little bit earlier. And then we just... Thank God for classes, right? Right. <laughs> right. Oh, so once you guys kind of decided that you wanted to come up and get a get a sheep sheep hunt on the books, how far out did you guys plan, like, plan the hunt? Did you guys put a deposit down, you know, year in advance, two years in advance? What was that? Yeah, so of? it was a year and a half in advance. And it was interesting because we all hunt in Colorado. We do some stuff in Colorado. And we talked to two different guys, and they had both connected us to guides that were based in Colorado. And they both worked for, the turns out, the same master guide, Steve Johnson. And we figured if you've got two different guys that give you the same uh, data point, that's probably a pretty good reference. So we called up Steve and... Uh, booked with him a year and a half ago. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's definitely definitely a good way to go about it. Get a couple leads in the same direction and, you know, got no other no other input. It's like, well, here we go, <laughs> you know. And um, so once you got that all booked and planned out, uh, what was your guys' uh, kind of first step with just personally planning the trip, getting, you know, was there extra gear you guys needed to pick up? You mentioned that you do some hunts out west, out in Colorado, do some elk hunting. Uh, were you able to use a lot of that same equipment that you used down there? Or was there a lot of stuff that, you know, kind of gave you a good excuse to go on a little shopping spree and uh, come up with? Yeah, well, unfortunately, we weren't able to use much of that gear because uh, out in Colorado, we use horses and you don't really care about weight, but out here, uh, every ounce matters. So we had, uh, we mainly got Sitka gear and uh, Kuyu packs, um, and we had to buy all new stuff, but it worked well. Definitely, it was worth and, it. And, and and I had bought new gear for thirty years, so it was probably time. <laughs> and we did a lot of studying. 
I've really found that the Sitka clothing layers were, uh, it, and it we probably put fifty. I probably put fifty hours into studying mm -hmm. clothing alone, and doing uh, a layering system of Sitka gear. Now that we're, you know, on the back end of this hunt, turned out to be the right decision. So that's always good to good to hear because it's definitely an investment. Anytime you're, you know, nothing's cheap nowadays, and especially technical hunting. If, you know, attire, it's become a whole new gamut of, you know, used to, you know, back even just a couple years ago, you had just a couple options and made it simple. And now it seems like every clothing line's coming out with their own version of, you know, a technical layering system. And, you know, it can be, you know, overwhelming at times doing research on it. There's a thousand options. And then inside each company, there's a thousand different, you know, garments to choose from. Mm -hmm. So, no, that's really good to hear that, you know, everything planned out and, you know, Work, worked out and was, you know, well equipped for the hunt. Uh, what did you bring up for uh, a rifle for the trip? Yeah, so we actually, uh, I had a rifle that I got in a couple years prior, a new rifle, um, but that was, that was really intended for elk and bigger. Um, it was a 300 Remington Ultra Magnum, so really intended for moose. But when we decided on sheep, we needed something lighter, uh, lighter caliber and a lighter gun to carry around. So we went with a seven millimeter uh, short action ultra magnum. Nice. That's been a super popular cartridge here of late, especially with you know the hand load junkies around the world. It's a screaming fast round. You can fit it in short action. You shave a lot of a lot of weight, and you know pick up some you know little heavier optics with that. You know you make a really good shooting you know capable long range western rifle and you know light package and. You know, it's a really, really great option for a lot of a lot of hunts now, and I mean, it's a, a cartridge that can cross over into so much. You know, you sounds like you've got more than a, a capable elk rifle, but you know, I wouldn't you know bat an eye, you know, ripping a uh, screaming seven psalm down at <laughs> downrange at a big screaming elk. So yeah, that's it's. I use it as the elk gun now. <laughs> nice, hey, yeah. hey, works out double double purpose. Well, so once you guys kind of got all your all your gear lined up uh what did the travel logistics look like for you guys because you guys are coming from the east coast you know pretty much traveling as far as you you can other than maybe going down to like the panhandle of florida but y'all have got quite way, the way <laughs> farther than that yeah florida is a four-hour flight this is uh 11 or 12 hours yeah. just a flight time so we booked uh we probably should have booked alaska air but we I, I fly american a lot so booked american through chicago and this is not a good time to fly, right? Everybody's getting post-COVID. There's not enough pilots, not enough flight attendants. So it, it was a bear getting out to, uh, to Anchorage. And then, um, you know, one of the lessons we learned was uh, we came, we thought, plenty early to a couple, three days uh, in advance of when we were uh, planning to even go in. And we were ended up three or four days delayed with weather to just get into fly into camp. So that's probably an important lesson for everybody that you cannot uh, dictate the weather of flying into the field up here. Yeah, there's an old saying, you know, life happens around the best made plans. And I think it was supposed to be uh, Alaska happens around uh, life's best made plans because it's, you know, it's a bugger up here for everybody. Once you get in, you can't control the weather. And, you know, those small planes, if it's bad weather, one, you know, they don't want to fly. And, Two, you probably don't want to be in them when they're flying, because even if you could get, you know, get there, it's a, 
kind of a squirrely ride and you know makes for a bit of an adventure but you know yeah. leave the adventure for the the mountain and not the, <laughs> not not the, the air flight. travel <laughs> no so that's definitely bugger did you get um, all your luggage and everything go fine or no. was that no no no, <laughs> so no part of the travel went good God. yeah travel was painful <laughs> but uh yeah it is what it is it all worked out. Nope. So, uh, with your free time in Anchorage, did you guys get any opportunities to do any, uh, you know, local sightseeing, any other fishing, anything like that? Yeah, we went down to uh, what was it called for salmon fishing? Near Soldotna Near to the Sold Kenai River. Yeah, yep. down there for uh, some sockeye salmon fishing, just for a day, a uh, half day. And that was fun. We were just. Uh, a little relaxing time before uh, getting into the sheep hunt. Yep, doing some slinging lead. Yep. Definitely a different fishing technique than uh, most kind of your. Yeah, we yeah, weren't used to that. Yep, the old legal snag, the Kenai flip, we call it. Yeah, the Kenai flip, exactly. exactly. No, it's a neat technique. It's super effective, but it's, you know, it's no fly fishing by any means and, you know, doesn't even come it's, close it's to burning a spinner. It's force, <laughs> yeah. but it landed some salmon. Yeah, so it worked. Yep, a freezer filler activity, we call it. Yeah. But so that's good. At least y'all didn't have a complete, you know, buzzkill of a, a layover. You gotta gotta do a little bit of something. No. But no. So once you finally were able to load up on Regal and get your flight out here, what was once you landed and kind of got to camp? Uh, talk through what you had to do once you landed here at camp and kind of because it was pretty. Since there was you know delays and getting pushed back, we were coming up on the opener. And it was pretty hot and heavy when you got here. What was your kind of first impressions of, uh, you know, finally touching down in the bush and, you know, getting experience, you know, the Alaskan wilderness and how, you know, fast paced it got for you guys? Yeah, well, first of all, the flight over was, that was amazing. We were able to uh, see actually Denali, the peak of Denali over the clouds. That was great. A lot of great sights just flying in between mountains. But once we got here, um, yeah, basically uh, I immediately went over to make sure my rifle was on, didn't get bumped during the flight. And then we uh, started getting shuttled out on a smaller plane out to where we were going to hunt. With our, We met our guide, Joel, and uh, we basically got right to it. Yep, no, it was a pretty pretty quick turn and burn even, you know, after you guys got back from your hunt. When we got back here to, you know, boys camp and, oh, I didn't even realize there was other buildings. I mean, you pretty, pretty yeah, much we got you guys to the range and then shoved you back in another airplane. Right. Yeah, there was about five minutes of turn and burn. <laughs> yeah. you know, check zeros and get back to the airstrip. But um, once you guys met Joel, he headed out into the into the bush first, and then one by one, y'all loaded up. Those super cubs, they can only, you know, they've got room for a, a pilot, a, you know, a passenger, and about a bag, and that's about it. They're kind of, you know, close to a pa paper airplane as a <laughs> you can yeah. you can physically, you know, fly, get to, you know, get lift with. So, you know, got out to the field, and then from there. Um, just kind of go step by step from your guys' hunt, you know, starting day one, once you kind of get boots down um, and just start picking it apart and give the listeners, you know, your story from each of, each of your perspectives. Yeah, all right. Uh, go ahead. Well, so, uh, you know, we hit the ground on the riverbed. Tents were already up. Did our food allocation and, and basically went to bed. Um, and the next day was going to be the first day of the hunt. And so we get up in the morning, pack up, and actually as we're packing, we, we see a young ram in the direction we're headed, which was encouraging. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
so start hiking in that direction. And <clears throat> if we step back to 18 months before, I had uh, sort of a bum Achilles and calf, and I got a bad back, so I had started this PT and exercise and boom, 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 and you know, a year and a half of like getting ready for this thing. I got a hundred yards into hiking up through the brush and up that slope, and I said, I am totally inadequately prepared for the for this trip. My glute was cramping up. Both heels felt like they were going to punch through the back of the boots. But you know that all settled in. Mm-hmm. But immediately it was like, okay, this is going <laughs> to be super intense. Ew, this is going to be a grinder, and that's that seems to be kind of commonplace for almost all sheep. Like no matter how much you prepare, once you kind of lay leather to you know to the shale, it's just everything kind of goes out the window, and it's just. Alrighty, time to time to scrap. Time to you know. It's go time. Exactly, lace up the boots and we, you know tape up the blisters because mm-hmm. it's uh, you know it's not going to get any easier. Yeah. But terrain so, is completely different from anything uh, you could expect. You could prepare for, prepare for. So yeah, really no, a big surprise. Without a doubt. Um, so once you kind of like you said, got in that groove, kind of worked through the uh, initial uh, you know pains and bruises. Um, how did the rest of that uh, first day go? And that was, you guys were open or hunting the opener sheep season, correct? Right, August that 10th. was opening day, yeah. Yep. Um, so we, yeah, we stopped for a bit and uh, just watched that little ram, little, nowhere close to legal, but it was just fun uh, watching him. And uh, we just slowly made our way up um, through this canyon alongside the river, well above it. Um, and we actually, at one point, that same ram, we were, a little bit of a weird story. He, we stopped for just to eat and take a break, and um, this ram had been following us the whole time, and he came within probably 20 yards of us and started barking at us, <laughs> and then he eventually kind of walked around, walked up past us, and just went on his way, but that was pretty bizarre. Mm. That was that young uh, two-year-old, correct? Exactly, yeah. the same one we yeah. saw earlier in the morning. We nicknamed him Paco, which is our nickname for our puppy, who's a little crazy and follows you around like a puppy dog so <laughs> he, he became Paco. <laughs> That's adorable. No, y'all got some awesome photos of him too because yeah he, he definitely gave y'all a good little you know photo op opportunity just kind of you know I'm not sure what he was doing milling around by himself but you know hopefully hopefully he finds his mom. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, so from there, did you guys kind of set up camp for the rest of that day, or did you, you know, cover a couple more miles? What did the uh, rest of day one look like for you guys? Well, I can't remember. Maybe you can, Ian, if we saw the the half. Yeah, that was the day first one. day. Yeah. So um, yeah, we we saw another ram, and then um, Joel is a very patient hunter. Uh, and he had a sense that there was a larger ram up ahead and rather than uh, keep pushing up this drainage we um, stopped and glassed for the rest of the day one of our other takeaways versus you know hunting in the Rockies or back east was you know it got to be about eight o'clock in the evening and I'm thinking to myself if this started at six in the morning I'm like how long does the hunting day go (laughs) and uh, I'm like what do you think about some dinner? And Joel's like, oh, maybe in an hour. So, you know, you you go till 10 o'clock at night anyhow. Mm. You know, so 6 to 10, that's a, uh, what is that, a 16-hour hunting day? Yeah. Um, and we learned that that's the average. So that was a huge eye-opener <laughs> on day one. 
uh, but that was cool. And um, we didn't really spot anything else that evening, uh, but we you know set up camp. So actually, turns out the, the the hiking was moderate. I would say on day one, it started out yep. super intense, but mm -hmm. got into the groove, and um, you know, and then we had set up camp, and uh, so that was the end of day one. Nice. And so that kind of from day one, I'm sure that kind of set you know just a a mental idea of what your expectations would be for you know, the upcoming days, you know, starting to see animals. Um, let's step back just for a moment. And what were your expectations, you know, coming into the hunt? Like, you know, you're finally, you're finally in Alaska, you make it to the bush, you're heading out. In your mind, like, you've had almost two full years to, you know, kind of dream up of what this, what this hunt is going to be or what it in your mind should be. What were your guys' expectations going into the field? Uh, well, I'd say uh, just based on like watching uh, hunting shows and stuff of sheep hunts, I was expecting at least terrain-wise, kind of a you know a tundra with a lot of rocks. I'll say that, and um, there were even more rocks than I expected. <laughs> yeah, it's really rocky, but um, yeah, again, it's really it's something it's hard to prepare for. But it's just a massive territory, and um, it's amazing seeing country that huge and that expansive. And I'd also say, on terms of the game, I thought we would see, you know, more uh, sheep you know, density, mm -hmm. but I, I knew legal ones would be tough to come by, but, you know, gotcha. net net over our entire, let's say the, the first five days of the hunt, we saw five rams mm -hmm. total, one was legal, I thought you might see, you know, 30, 40, but you know, some lambs and ewes, and, but mm -hmm. it was, um, you know, it's, it's hard hunting. Yeah. No, I always like, you know, because any time, especially a trip like this where there's so much anticipation leading up to it, and, you know, especially nowadays with the amount of information, whether it's, you know, forum articles or TV shows or YouTube or podcasts or anything, there's just like so much information you take in and so many, you know, different data points that you, you know, start piling up in your brain. So it's always curious to see, you know, what every individual's like, you know, personal like expectations or what they can, you know, kind of conjure up in their mind of what a trip like this will be like. So once, you know, day one's over, you've seen a couple rams, uh, was day two kind of crack of dawn getting after it or what was, uh, what did day two have entail for you guys? Yeah, so we started out, um, just packed up camp and walked up the hill to where we'd been the night before, just glassing and spent our time looking for that ram again. Just took our time, we didn't wanna, uh, we didn't want to be seen before we saw them, of course. Um, then we just kept on hiking along that same canyon, and um, I think that, that was the day we saw that almost legal one, right? Yep. Yeah, so we uh, <coughs> we moved up to, I think, it kind of caught us by surprise a little bit. We were in this little low spot, um, some shale on one side, and a mountain on the other that would go over to the next bowl and we saw this ram that was called it about seven eighths of legal um, right up in the grassy field above us about <coughs> I don't know how far 600 yards. 600 yards away yeah so we just hunkered down and waited and Joel was there spotting 
looking at him closely, taking pictures through his body scope, just trying to see if he was legal, but unfortunately, he wasn't. Yeah, no, that's tough. It seems like there's so many of those, you know, seven-year-old or seven-eighths, you know, cool rams where you're sitting there behind glasses trying to make them grow and actually, you know, just yeah. like a, you know, three-quarters of an inch or, you know, one inch. You're like, come on, just squeeze a little more out of yeah, it. Yeah, we were, we were hoping for that. But, yeah. uh, you know, the other lesson there was we were uh, we were pretty well concealed and stuff. And this guy, you know, he sensed something wasn't quite right. And it didn't take him long to be, you know, 2,000 feet higher and a mile and a half away. Yeah. And so it, it was also another eye-opener just how these these things are uh, pretty wary and you really got to yeah. worry about your movement and getting skylined. And, yeah, um, yeah they're, they're going to check you out from a long ways away. Yeah, they're just kind of wired different. They're ready to just, you know, anything. They're the, they're the king of the mountain, and there's not much stuff that runs around up there, so I'm yeah. sure any any movement that they're, you know, unfamiliar, they're just, you know, they key on that like, a, you know, like nothing else. So. so you saw some rams, and moving into day three, did you guys have any weather roll in, or well, was it? Well, on the actually, important yeah. point on, so, we started following the direction of that nearly oh, okay. legal yep. ram on day two, and we were about halfway up the mountain to, to drop into, let's call it the far uh, next drainage. And, uh, and Joel turned around and spots two rams at about two miles away, one of which he thinks is legal. And um, so we set up a tarp, it's starting to rain, and... Um, sit there until about 2.30 and at that point he's like yeah I think it's good we should go for it and even though it was raining we said okay well we've got um, you know until 10.30 or so to make this happen so we started a, uh, a pretty intense side hill uh, pursuit that took six hours oh. to get in range in um, really intense rock fall slippery you know rocks moving underfoot and long story short we got to within about 350 yards but only had about a 10 second window opening in the fog for Joel to verify it was legal and for Ian to figure out if he had the shot and one of the lessons we also learned is your rangefinders don't work in the mist and so anyhow 10 seconds closed out no shot and um and we backed out and yeah. so that was uh strenuous but a <laughs> hell of a lot of fun and uh and then we knew there was something there to, to come back to mm. that's were you able to get any half decent sleep that night like what, what was going through your head in the tent was it like oh no like what was that our one shot or like you know were you pretty confident that you kind of had that ram pin down for the next day or at least in your mind think you have a you know a good shot to get back in on him that following day or was there kind of that you know pit in your stomach of did we just you know did we just mess this whole thing up like yeah well um unfortunately right before we left him um we could see through when the fog opened up a little bit he had gone right to the top of the ridge over toward the next ball and he was just laying at the very pinnacle so we were we were fingers crossed hoping that he would come down the next morning to feed again and walk around to where we could see him. Um, I mean, 
I was a little worried that night that we'd missed a chance, but I thought we could get another one. So, but there was no staying awake. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Too no, tired for that. I'm sure a six six hour death march to get in. You know, you got all that adrenaline going at the end of that. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, and then by the end, and then two hours to back out. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we didn't get we didn't get tent set up until eleven o'clock at night. Oh yeah, so I'm sure that was a get in the bag and close yeah. the eyes pretty quick operation. But so the next day, we decided you know we were going to stay back and just glass for them, and uh, we we did we spent the entire day doing that, and nada didn't see a sheep the entire day. So then you know you you start to wonder you know did he did he uh, blow out of there. Um, so then if you fast forward to the next morning, it was like, okay, we're going to go in, in pursuit. And um, so we went back up to where, where the last interaction had been with this guy and had a uh, scramble in uh, freezing rain up through a pretty darn steep drainage. We, um, we ski this backcountry uh, run in New Hampshire called Tuckerman's Ravine on so Mount I'm, Washington. Yeah, Mount Washington which is, you know, like a 45, 50 degree slope that you hike up. And this made Tuckerman's look like a, 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 an easy run. <laughs> yeah. um, so this was, you know, we, our pucker factor was up there. Mm. And I think Joel was uh, just intentionally not looking back at us. So <laughs> yeah. We didn't have an option. Yeah, just don't give an option. <laughs> when in doubt, just head forward. <laughs> right. So we got up to the top. And uh, I don't know if you want to take it from there, Ian. Yeah, and what I thought was pretty cool was it was basically raining this whole hike up the t up to the top. Um, and once we sat down, right on the edge of this, uh, basically almost the edge of a cliff, uh, a very steep area, um, the rain just stopped. The sun came out for a few minutes. There was a rainbow. But that felt like a good sign to me. And then uh, we crossed over to the other side, um, the other side of the ridge. And we were holding our breath because it looked like a knife's edge ridge, but luckily there was kind of a a steady slope, a, a flatter spot down there where we could actually manage to walk. <laughs> um, yeah, and so we just set up. We set up the tarp again, like we had the day before. We glassed around while uh, Joel went up along the ridge to get a different angle. Um, and I'd say 20 minutes later, he came back. He did not look happy, I'll we'll say that. <laughs> and it, it turns out he uh, busted the ram. He saw the ram, and he, he busted him. He blew out. But we didn't know how far at that point. So we got back up there where he had been. This time, we all went up there, grabbed the rifle, of course. Um, and uh, we crawled up to where... Uh, it was, it was, again, it was foggy, our, our best friend from the day before became <laughs> right. our worst enemy. Um, and so we crawled up just to where we could see over this rock, and uh, I really, had, we just kind of winged it from there, I'll say that. <laughs> it took a couple shots, but um, from about 300 yards, 330 yards, this ram, he was broadside at first. Um, after the first shot, he was, he was definitely hurt, uh, but then a couple more to him down and we were a little worried at that point that he wasn't dead because we saw him go out of view and even more worried that he would fall off that cliff where he j we just walked up which is practically impossible to scale and even harder to go down uh, but 
we recovered him, luckily. Right. Yeah, to put a little finer point on that, he died 10 feet from a 1,000-foot sheer drop. <laughs> so it was either 1,000 feet straight down in the direction we had just come or a nice spot where we could recover him. Yeah, recover him, work on him, get everything. Fortunately, <laughs> he expired right on that right on oh. that little ledge. Oh, that's nice. So. So right before the kind of the shot there, so Joel spooks, you know, kind of spooks the yep. spooks the ram, comes back, and then you guys kind of regroup and then head up to that knob. And so is it just you and Joel working up to the knob and just is it so is it something you kind of like belly crawling up to just to get up and peek over? Or are you able to kind of just like you know either low crawl or just stay hunched and get up there mm -hmm. and. So I take it, you get up there, you, you know, see the ram, he's kind of, you know, calmed down at this point, just kind of milling around, or is he kind of, uh, what's, what's the ram's kind of body language at this point? Is he just kind of hanging tight, you've got time to, you know, set up, get a good rest and a shot, or is he kind of making this a, you know, a get to business situation like got to get after it right this second yeah so uh, to give a little more detail it was all three of us up there but then at the last minute it was just joel and i i was down just kind of crouching walking up behind him um but then all of a sudden he saw the sheep so we just dropped dropped to the ground and we're basically crawling from there um and so we kind of just stuck our head over a rock just to where we could see enough and as far as the ram he uh, he's definitely a, a little bit worried at that point. Um, he was moving away from us at some point, straight away from us, which is obviously not good for a shot. Mm -hmm. um, but Joel had his his uh, foam pad that he uh, sits on. And he just set that up on the rock. I, I just use that as a rest um, and tried to line up, even though I was pretty nervous. We used <laughs> that as best I could. Nice. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure there's a. Uh, plenty of a buck fever or ram fever going on at that moment you know all this Definitely. hard work and staring down a you know a trophy of a lifetime there's no uh no rock steady uh nobody in the right mind of outside of maybe a, a psychopath or two will be able to you know hold everything together in a situation like that so you know you like you said you get a shot off you think you you know think you get a good shot in them that first shot but uh chamber another round get another shot off um, and then you eventually had three shots in total yep. correct yep and right. um, and then like you guys had mentioned expired just on the on the good side of a you know a sketchy situation cuz yeah that's one of those you're probably you know probably not recovering the ram and if you are it's kind of ram soup at that that point I'm sure and uh, so once you get up to him what was the were you guys able to work on him, process him there where he lay, or did you have to kind of get a move to a bench to work on him? Or fortunately, he was in enough of a flat spot, even though it was rocky, that you could work on him right there. And um, Ian's, which I believe was his first shot, was well placed, and the second shot was sort of front on, and so basically 100% of the meat was was good. Nice, which was excellent, awesome. Joel did a phenomenal job of, uh, you know, literally taking all the meat, rib meat, uh, fat off the ribs. Um, we took the heart, which uh, Mike, you prepared, and absolutely delicious uh, once we were back in camp. So, um, no, it was easy. It was relatively easy to process. And at that point, you know, we were all shot 
um, worn out. And so we, we basically camped right on the mountaintop with the, with the sheep and uh, then had a, a 4,000 foot descent the next day packing everything out, which uh, by the time we got back down to our, basically our original campsite, we were, uh, we were pretty beat, but pretty ecstatic as well. Yep, no, kind of that the glory walkout. It's definitely the hardest part of the trip. You know, a lot of times going down is a lot harder than going up. The joints definitely don't like it. And when you've got a, you know, a big animal on your back, it definitely doesn't give the ankles or knees any, any more uh, love for sure. Um, how, were, how were you guys able to, you know, uh, split the meat up? Did you guys, you know, a couple guys take quarters, one guy head and cave? Mm -hmm. Like, what did that look like for getting yeah. off the mountain? Yeah, I know I had uh, two quarters and the uh, skull with the horns. Um, I think Joel had a couple quarters. And yeah, some. and then I just had the hide, which, uh, you know, so Ian was probably carrying 90 pounds. I was carrying 70 pounds. I don't know what Joel's was, but, you know, with uh, at 53 with the, yeah, the so hip <laughs> and the knees and I was like okay that's you know that's where I'm going to tap out and and that's kind of what we had planned in advance was you know I wasn't going to try and be a hero yeah. I wouldn't recommend anybody <laughs> carrying more than they can so it all worked we all came out tired so yeah. I think that worked no mm -hmm. that, that that's the way it ought to be but honestly my purview I mean I think you're the one foot in the bill. I think that pack should have been a little bit lighter. I think the young buck over here could have <laughs> could have used a little, a little more work. weight on his back. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, we we should probably talk about that for a second. So, you know, it was like father-son experience. Great to see Ian uh, rise to the challenge, and you know, there's no better uh, use for uh, the good fortune we've had, the ability to to pay for a trip like this, which is you know. Um, you know, unfortunately beyond the reach of most folks and um, and we're just in a fortunate enough spot and decide you know that rather spend money on experiences than than, than things and um, it's been an extraordinary experience it was worth every penny yeah we're very lucky to be able to do this and it wasn't just me you uh, you climbed that mountain too so it was a great accomplishment for all of us no that's awesome I can only imagine you know getting to do anything with you know father or you know vice versa father getting to spend any time with his son especially you know experience like this where it's you know one you know a magnificent place just to travel and see and experience but the kind of mental and physical challenge for you know both of you guys you know covering the mountain being able to deal with weather being able to deal with you know the stress of you know you know, having a cr having your crosshairs on a you know once in a lifetime, you know caliber animal that's you know in a place that's just you know vast and massive, you know getting to experience all that together and you know making those memories and you know having these stories that you'll be able to you know hold on to and share for forever. I'm sure it's just a you know not a lot of people get to do it, and then when they do get to do it, it's usually not to the kind of the caliber of the situation this is and so I'm sure that's a uh, great you know bonding moment as well as like just a growth moment between a you know father and son for sure um, and on kind of that top what would your guys's uh, what would you say uh, goodness I'm gonna blank on the word I'm trying to think of uh, recommendation or advice for anybody that's looking to do a trip like this or wanting to 
you know, have an experience like this, especially if it's, you know, uh, a family ordeal, whether it's, you know, father and daughter, father and son, yeah. uncle, and I, nephew. And I, uh, I should say that my daughter hunts as well, and my dad, you know, we do th a three-generation elk hunt every year. Um, so it's a really bonding experience for all the generations mm -hmm. in the family, and hopefully it will be for their kids and so on and so on. But one of the, you know, this like I said, this is a this is an expensive uh, uh, trip, and so one of the decisions that we made, and you know, at, at this point in life, you know, I love the hunt. I don't need to be the guy that makes the kill, mm -hmm. and so one of the things that Steve was able to offer us is, you know, I came along with some incremental cost, but not the same as if it was two sheep hunters, mm -hmm. and so it was a cool way to you know, do this where Ian was the hunter. Um, but in my mind, we were both on the hunt and having the adventure, but uh, you didn't have the full expense of, of two people um, out in the field. Nice. That's that's nice, especially when you, you know, and I'm sure that's something that most outfitters will accommodate to as long as you bring it up in an appropriate way. You know, don't, um, you know, don't go looking for, Hey, how do I, you a, know, a freebie. Exactly. Yeah. No, this like is, a, um, you know, a situation like, hey, this is the situation, you know, we'd love to have, you know, m you know, multiple people in the field. How can we, you know, how can we make this work for both of us type of situation? Yeah, yeah, and Steve was very cool about it. And, you know, I think it's, it's not unusual, but uh, it was, and uh, quite frankly, I, I feel like, you know, I was on, that, that sheep hunt was my hunt. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't need to pull the trigger. No, that's awesome. I've, you know, I get to spend a lot of time in the field, but not a lot of time behind a, a gun myself. And I get, you know, very similar, very similar feel, feelings like that. You know, I can really relate to that. It's just like getting to be a part of that experience. You know, 99, 90, you know, at least 95% of it's just all the exterior stuff. And, you know, the only, the only, the only real difference is that, you know, squeeze of the trigger and the working of the action. It's yeah. like, and he is a hell of a lot better shot than me. So he's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's the guy that should be behind the gun. Exactly. Hedge your bets a little bit. <laughs> work is a work in your both of your benefits, you know. <laughs> oh, so for a little uh little of the boring logistics, for anybody that it's like trying to plan a hunt like this or looking for an experience like this, was this a tag that you had to apply for or was it something you were able to get through uh, Steve as an outfitter. How did just kind of acquiring your tag and going that route, what was that like? Yeah, if I'm correct on this, um, I believe it's out of state, um, non-residents. Um, we were just able to go on the um, Alaska... ADF and G. Yeah, that website, and just purchase the tag. It, it's expensive, but um, we didn't have to draw the tag. Nice. So it was just a matter of getting under, because as sheep, for sheep, goat, and brown bear, you have to be under contract with a guide to hunt them in Alaska as a non-resident. So as long as, you know, you got you got your contract with your outfitter, and then from there, yeah, you had, the to, you had to enter the guide's yep. name and uh, his, his number registration number, yeah, and that was it, and it was easy. Nice. And so, yeah, sounds like an amazing trip, and then you guys got back to... After you guys got the sheep, you know, back to y'all's base camp, y'all hiked out the next day, and then y'all were back here at boys camp the following, or how many days in the field the were y'all? So yeah, so six or right. seven days in the field, six days? Yeah, so we shot, 
Shot the sheep on day four, hiked out on day five, and flew back to boys camp on day six. Nice. And then, yeah, since you guys flew back, you can't hunt the same day we flow, so then we, you know, kind of sat around, definitely shared some stories, took some pictures, kind of admired uh, your guys' ram because it was, you know, a, just a gorgeous, symmetrical, more than full curl, I think. You know, it'll be curious to see what uh, uh, fishing game eventually ages it at because everybody ages a sheep a little different. But it's, you know, all of 10, if not 11 years old, just a gorgeous old ram. Uh, so definitely sat around, shared shared the hunting stories, a bunch of looking at it. And then, you know, a couple adult beverages and then had some good dinner. We, like you mentioned, we cut up the heart and did kind of a... Uh, uh, fried them up almost like you would onion rings with a dipping sauce and then we did kind of a caveman style uh, uh, fondue on a stick out in the out in the yard built a built a nice little fire and you know on the ends of sticks took some tenderloins and back straps roasted those over an open flame and how was your uh, first opinion of uh, sheet meat oh it was delicious and I I don't think I've ever had heart before and that was a great experience and I'll definitely start keeping the hearts on the, the elk that I shoot or other animals. Yeah, you um, got a new trick to show off in uh, elk camp now. New <laughs> recipe, right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, we, all, we had this question because you know, we eat a lot of elk meats and venison, wild turkey. Um, and what was this sheep meat going to taste like? You know, was it going to be like elk, which we love, or was this going to be like a goat? Go, you know? yeah. And uh, and it really was excellent. Um, so anybody out there that's wondering, you know, this is this is a, uh, and we eat everything that we shoot. So um, we're, we will look forward to this. It won't be a chore. <laughs> yeah, we won't have to force that. We won't have to cover that one in a, you know, a barbecue sauce or a right. mustard. No, I was really surprised on for being such a kind of rugged animal, living in some just like unforgiving terrain how tender the meat was because you would just assume it tastes about like boot leather because you know yeah. they are just in some nasty country but it yeah, was they work hard it was i mean melting your mouth just about it, it was, was it was really good gamey really not not gamey at all a lighter red meat than an than an elk or a venison so yeah it's delicious you yeah. and then uh today that brings us to the Today we went out and spent a little time chasing some caribou. We've got you know some logistics, uh, flight-wise coming up. So gonna you know you guys are gonna be heading out of camp here a little uh, earlier than scheduled due to some weather and stuff. But got an opportunity to run after some caribou today, and you know the weather wasn't uh, the best by any means. But uh, got to got to stretch the legs out a little bit and. You know, go sit under a tarp, your guys' favorite yeah. favorite yeah. activity. Well, we just get out in the saw field. some grizzlies, saw some more sheep, you know, ate some blueberries. It was another great day. Yeah. Yeah. And then you know, got to be got to join us here on the Average Alaskan podcast. Super uh super excited. Y'all were willing to sit down and share your story and you know, now we're staring down the barrel of a, a sauna session to kind of throw the cherry on top. So. Gotta love it. <laughs> exactly. So this is, uh, you know, hopefully success story number one coming to you guys live from Boys Camp. Uh, if you follow the podcast uh, religiously, this is going to be coming out fairly uh, late. Won't be on our normal schedule because we won't be back in civilization for uh, a good while. So you'll have a nice treat of a catalog of success stories coming your way here this 
uh, early or late fall, early winter. So I hope everybody's doing well, having success in their fall, getting outside, whatever it is your passion is. But you know, spending it with loved ones out in the out in the great outdoors, like uh, these two wonderful gentlemen. So thanks for having us, Thank Joel. Thank you for having us. Yep, have a good one. Talk to everybody soon.